0: Hello and welcome back to the Dynasty Crossroads. My name is Peter Howard at Pierre Howdy on Twitter and Threads and everywhere else you need an at. Um, so we've come to that point again where I simply have put in way too much work to not draw a line under it and call it done. Uh, and let me know what you think. There's a thin line between trying to make broad content, interesting content that's about the nuts and guts of fantasy stats, that may speak, I hope, to an audience that exists... ...that is also interesting and just boring people to death. Um, On one side of the line, you have an almost evergreen episode... ...that details the process of common ideas that spark and drive success in Dynasty... ...and on the other side is continuing to only have a very few dedicated and handsome listeners... ...that politely skip to the end until they reach the actionable takeaway section. Uh, I intend to push that line to the brink this week, um, so that's fair warning... Because today, this week, right now, this episode, we're going to tackle regression. One of my personal white whales in fantasy because it's a mathematical concept, which is good because it's real and the type of thing that I've always been searching for when I started playing Dynasty, and also bad because I must understand math to understand it. It's also good because it happens, it's real, but bad because it's very difficult to find practical applications for it that work effectively or more often than not. As with all of those process things that I've been looking for to make a dummy like me who isn't particularly good at evaluation or watching the game or knowing who's good or bad just by, you know, having a knowledge of football, the practical application is often hit and miss. Now, this week we're going to describe accurately how much and how often regression narratives are worth a damn and try to get more hits than miss in the future. So, let's grind. Or let's crossroads.
1: Do you have the time to listen to me grind? Take down the film watchers and learn some at once.
0: Mastodons weigh over eight tons on average and stood nine foot six inches tall. Woolly, perhaps, but most think it's unlikely now, the man maybe contemplated the vastness of the skeleton stretched out in front of him as he plunged the tusk over two metres in length into the earth of New Mexico. Standing to admire the work nearby, the head of two giant mastodon bones stood, unnaturally lined up beside each other. Why? You'd have to ask him. How many times had he done this before? Again, you'd have to inquire within. Had he mounted a hunt to take down such a huge animal? Did he have help? How much help? Did he get anyone hurt in the attempt? Only he has the answers. Should you attempt to ask, however, you'd be met with several roadblocks. Initially, there's time. It's difficult to get a message back and forth through time at the best of, well, times, let alone when one party exists before many believe humans had even left Africa, and whose system of communication, never mind his language, is actually a mystery. But standing in the middle of the now New Mexico prehistoric tundra, admiring his work, wishing or hoping or dreaming of whatever purpose this was intended to mean or do or perform, The heavy-browed ancestor of our ancestors stood. When and why and who and even what he was so far is lost to the delicate soil beneath his feet. He or his grandparents more likely perhaps traversed a land bridge across Antarctica hunting wild animals none of his not-too-distant ancestors had ever imagined and made a life here in a land very far away from where both his and your story begin. He buried his dead, he tended to his ancestors, he used tools Off somewhere back along the path of his family's migration, his kind would breed with what would become our kind. A pioneer, a cousin, and an adventurer, he may well have been the first American. And we don't know his name or his language, or even if this happened at all. Stepping back away from the tusk, he fades away back into the murky cloud that separates us from him, as well as the few precious moments archeologists have been able to clear away. Swirling slightly, swaddling the few precious moments like this, like pearls in linen, whispering about the potential of a whole new understanding of what we are, where we came from, and how we got to where we are right now. How the heck do I history regression to the mean? At first I thought about talking about Sir Francis Galton. Uh, He was a cousin of Charles Darwin, an early pioneer of fingerprint technology, a dropout who failed to get a degree at Cambridge because of stress, essentially, but also was the first person to describe the phenomenon of regression to the mean in 1877. What could be interesting about a man called Francis? His expedition to the north of the Kalahari Desert? Nah, how could an expedition to the Kalahari Desert in the 19th century be interesting? Instead, let's talk about rocks and weather... They may, perhaps, have been banged together at one point. Let me explain. Not so long ago, I mentioned a set of fossilized footprints in New Mexico, and the woman and child, probably, who made them. What I didn't mention, because I didn't really understand or know at the time, is that that fossil is wrapped up in a much larger conversation about when people and what people first came to this continent. The exact arrival of people in America has been something of a debate since I was in college. Initially, and for a long time, the best and accepted explanation was an Iceland bridge that opened up between ice ages for about a thousand years, allowing human migration across the northwest of Eurasia into the American continent. The earliest known signs of human habitation of actual humans here and doing things are called the Clovis artifacts or the Clovis culture. They turn up around 11 to 12,000 years ago. We knew they weren't the first, primarily because the development of the artifacts themselves are sophisticated enough that we know there were earlier generations, but they are the earliest known inhabitants in terms of realistic evidence of material culture from human beings here on the continent. However, in the bottom of those footprints, that we talked about before, there are actually seeds that predate the Clovis remains significantly. They go back to about 23,000 years ago, suggesting Our Lady took her stroll long before the earliest confirmed human material culture found. The land bridge itself has also come under scrutiny, primarily because some began to wonder how traversable a still virtually barren tundra with almost no vegetation would have been attractive to migrating hunters and gatherers. A fairly solid competitive theory has come up in recent years about humans traversing along the coast using the sea as a source of food and subsistence, and we know people have done that in other places of the world, so it makes sense, and it's gained a lot of traction. This is where we enter the Chariti Mastodon site. Too long didn't read, it's a site where mastodon bones, as well as rocks, obviously, and some suggestion of ritual or intentional placement by someone exists. Some of the rocks have percussion damage that specifically look like intentionally using them as hammers and anvils while they don't represent a material culture of a human society or culture because at the end of the day they are roughly formed well rocks not actual hammer shapes but some of the flaking of the nearby stones as well as the percussion marks themselves add together with some of the mastodon bones appearing to be specifically intentionally placed in a way that skeleton would have been unlikely to end up on its own accord, suggests that people did it. More convincing evidence is the placement of a mastodon tusk, which is implanted in the soil, going through several strata of the site, which is again unlikely to occur without intentionally having been put that way. But it's not impossible. All this adds up to a lot earlier date, potentially, of humans arriving in America, and way before the seeds and the footprints of our friends walk long ago. Frankly, I had to look up the words, let alone the math behind uranium turning into thorium. So let's just not go there. But one thing everyone in the scientific research can agree on is that the site goes back way around 23,000 years ago. It goes back 130,000 years. Now for reference, or to explain why that's important, Outside of that big number of years, our ancestors, Homo Homo sapiens, are thought to have migrated out of Africa around 120,000 years ago to 80,000 years ago. That puts us very far away from America at that point. But back then, we were not the only primates who existed. Now the Neanderthals, often depicting knuckle-dragging ancestors, have been wronged in popular culture. We have learned a lot about them, including that they have ritualistic behavior, that they buried their dead, cared for their ancestors, and their ancestors' remains, and possibly interbred with our own lineage. So the point that we're not sure if they died out, were out-competed by us and others, or simply became part of our group. We often think our ancestors, or anyone's ancestors, as primitives so of less intelligent, but the fact is For the last 100,000 years, we've essentially been the same animal, capable of the same intellect and emotions, from fear to love and curiosity, so too may our cousins have been. We may have lived together, we may have known each other, there may have been here in America before anyone else. Right now, no one agrees on anything outside the date. If humans or other hominids were there, remains an open question, and when or who... First arrived in America or left Africa is now also more debatable than it's been since I was twelve years old. Why is any of this relevant to this podcast? Well, for one thing, it's fascinating. For another, it all hinges on the diligent patient growth of small pieces of information dutifully tested. To argue about whether a rock was used as a hammer or fell on another nearby rock and just never moved after that, there's a process called experimental archaeology. That's a branch method of of trying to see the results of what happens when we do things. Testing and retesting the results of various different impacts on various objects in order to be able to better explain and predict and determine the answer to those questions. Or in other words, what is left on the ground after a certain building method is used for a house well they build the house and find out what happens when one hit rock hits another rock well let's hit some rocks together and find out that astounds me if possible even more than the site or the implications of that site work that does not capture the imagination of a vast audience of when did people first come to America, all relies on scientists being just as fascinated with smaller, more esoteric questions. Like what remains on the ground when one rock hits another rock, intentionally versus unintentionally. And it's with that spirit we should approach regression and fantasy football. I don't care as much about selling you how likely Deontay Johnson is to score more fantasy points in 2023, or Jamal Williams is to score less for that matter, as much as I care about having an understanding of how often and how much players score the following year in similar situations. So let's put our backs into the work roll up our sleeves, grab a pocket protector and try to understand the reality of touchdown regression for fantasy football and the practical reality of if and how much or in what direction we can expect results to emerge. So what is regression towards a mean? Let's start there. Regression towards a mean is a mathematical phenomenon where outlier performance reduced back towards the average the next time it's sampled. Or, in English, regression is testing how related your speed and weather conditions are to how long it takes you to drive to work. Regression towards a mean would be if the weather variable seems to have an alternating influence on the result from one month to another or to explain how it works in my head, regression towards mean is simply what happens to efficiency over time, resulting from luck or being in the zone if you prefer agency. If I miss a school bus 9 times out of 10 while driving to work and then think I'm getting good at it, only to find myself falling in behind the damn thing for the next 5 trips, the efficiency with which I was getting to work was largely due to factors I wasn't aware of and or had no control over. Regression towards the mean is basically how often the bus driver forgets to grab his coffee in the morning and therefore leaves the house a little later and therefore I get ahead of the bus. As almost everyone says, touchdowns are random, meaning they are hard to predict. But the one thing we do know is that if players score a lot of them, they probably won't next year. And vice versa. I look at touchdown rates through a stat called Yards Per Touchdown. There are a lot of ways to measure touchdown rate, it turns out. But Yards Per Touchdown is my favourite because it's simple, it can be tracked through any time period, and doesn't require proprietary stats, and it's kind of intuitive and useful. If a player has between 100 and 200 yards, he should have a touchdown by now. While the average rate of yards per touchdown varies depending on if you're looking at all yards, or passing yards, rushing yards, receiving yards, or by position, the generic average of between 100 and 200 is basically always applicable. And while some players operate at a higher personal average throughout their career, virtually every player falls back in line with this range by the end. In my database since 2000, only 10 players have finished their career with three or more years of top 24 level volume position relative less than 100 yards per touchdown for their entire career and only one was a wide receiver that was Dez Bryant and he had 99 yards per touchdown by the end and two were running backs Sean Alexander had 98 yards per touchdown Brandon Jacobs had 91 yards per touchdown by the end while the rest were tight ends who have a lower average range than the other positions anyway as Adam Hanstead likes to say, or has mentioned, since he's the first one I heard talk about this stat, even Rob Gronkowski, who spent an entire career below 100 yards per touchdown, finally crossed over it in 2021. So let's build some expectations, and this is where it might get slightly number reedy. Since 2000, 632 of 2,188 players have finished a season greater than 200 yards per touchdown. The following year, they averaged a 23% positive change in their yards per touchdown. In other words, they consistently score more touchdowns per yard the following season, so long as they play a full season in both years. More specifically, they also increased in points per game by 15.5% on average across all positions. But that's our old friend Mr. The Average again, and we need to consider the distribution of results to know how relevant it is. Essentially, what percentage of players increased and decreased by a significant amount in either category of having too many touchdowns or too few. But it's also a podcast, and I know we can get lost in spoken numbers a little, so I'll try and explain why it's important as we go instead of all at one. In our main sample, of players finished with greater than 200 yards per touchdown saw a 10% increase in their points per game the following season if they played a full season in both, where 35% saw a negative 10% change. That's a little closer than we'd like in terms of the certainty with which a player scores more points the following season, since it's not a given the increase in points per game, but it does mean the majority, 64% of players with over 200 yards per touchdown, increase or remain within 10%, so the increase or improve in fantasy points per game the following year. In the same sample, 246 players finished with less than 100 yards per touchdown. They averaged minus 113% change in their yards per touchdown, which is huge. And they decreased in points per game, but only by 0.1%. That's why we have our distribution bucket. Digging into those buckets, we see that 28% of the group in points per game improved by 10%. 46% decreased by more than 10%. So not everyone improves in points per game if they have a positive touchdown regression due. Only about 60% maintain or improve. And if for those who have negative regression due, they should score less because of their touchdowns. About 53% of the group maintain or improve. Most don't get worse for fantasy, that's the most common result. Now, 46% actually get worse, but most maintain or improve. Those who score too many touchdowns, in other words, typically score less the following season, but a lot of them maintain or improve. So my conclusion, just looking at the top sheet here, is that players are less are likely to regress towards the mean in touchdown rate. That's, that's pretty known. We're not going to disprove regression with fantasy football, so yeah, yeah, it's not really a question. But the cumulative effect for fantasy seems to be that high touchdown efficiency doesn't lead to less points the following year as often as you'd expect. Presumably in other ways, they score more points with yards or receptions. It's also worth noting that high efficiency can lead to more volume since teams try to get players who offer good results more opportunities, at least ideally. So let's look at this by position. Quarterback. 47 quarterbacks exist in my sample that had 200 yards per touchdown, so they were due more touchdowns the following season. They increased in yards per touchdown by 22% the following year on average, and saw a 17% positive change in their points per game. 53% of them improved by 10% or more, and only 17% decreased by 10%. In other words, 83% of quarterbacks who are due more touchdowns according to regression maintain or increase in points per game the following season. On the other hand, quarterbacks who scored too many touchdowns, they average a 54% decrease in yards per touchdown the following season and a 24% loss of points per game on average and 0% improved in points per game the following year. The end result of quarterback? Quarterbacks are going to regress in touchdown rate and it has a direct fantasy impact. The points per game result is highly likely to be what you would expect for the position, but it's also worth noting very few hit the extremes of touchdown efficiency. Let's look at running back. 236 players finished with over 200 yards per touchdown since 2000. The following year, assuming they played in both years, they increased in yards per touchdown by 21%, and they also increased in points per game on average by 20%. This is the single biggest year-over-year improvement in points per game for any position, by the way. 48% of them increased by 10% and 37% decreased. So that's a little closer than we'd like at least by 10%. This means players due positive touchdown regression of running back are good targets since 61% of the time they increased or maintained their points per game. But it's also the lowest percentage of the positions. So if you're going to pick a wide receiver or a running back or a tight end or a quarterback due more points because they scored too few touchdowns, running back happens the least often. 72 players finished with less than 100 yards per touchdown. They were scoring too many touchdowns. On average, they decreased in yards per touchdown the following year. They did regress to the tune of an average of loss of 82% in yards per touchdown. And also decreased in points per game, on average by minus 2.4%. though. And only 29% increased in 10% by 10% the following season. But 47% decreased in points per game by 10%. Again... The long and short of it is that 57% of players due less points because they had too many touchdowns actually stayed the same or got better. When I dug down into running backs with volume, you know, to try and weed out the Blounts and the uh, Jamal Williams on some limited roles scoring too many touchdowns. So only looking at running backs with top 24 level volume, I found this number got even more interesting. As 75% due negative touchdown regression. In other words, they were meant to score less touchdowns and therefore get less points. 75% of them ended up maintaining within 10% of their points per game or increasing their points per game, which was the smallest group, but it adds up to 75% of everyone that could have been a candidate for it. So improving was a distinct minority, but it also means that they are not really worth quote-unquote fading because they scored too many touchdowns. While we remember the lessons of LeGarrette Blount in 2016, and that seems like a case study for Jamal Williams in 2022, let me offer you some counter-examples of the majority group. Derek Henry had a similar yards per touchdown in 2018. David Johnson in his rookie season in 2016. Had a similar yards per touchdown. Adrian Peterson in 2011. Brian Westbrook in 2002. Jamal Charles in 2014. There are a lot of them because they are the majority. And those examples I just picked out, they didn't just maintain their points per game the following season. Despite having 100 yards per touchdown or less. They actually increased by 20% of more in their points per game season the next year. They scored 20% more points per game. This isn't to suggest that Jamal Williams will maintain his 67 yards per touchdown. In fact, that's very unlikely. But his 13.5 points per game isn't as shaky if we were able to assume a relative volume following year. Which is why Austin Eckler, last year in 2022 with 91 yards per touchdown, isn't as concerning as you may think. Nor was he last year, or in 2021, when he had less than 100 yards per touchdown that year. Austin Eckler should have been due touchdown regression last year. It didn't happen, because it normally doesn't. Wide receivers. 268 players finished with 200 yards per touchdown or less. They didn't score enough touchdowns per yard, in other words. They were due more touchdowns the following year. And the following year, they increased in yards per touchdown by 22% on average. They also increased by points per game by 10.9% on average. 40% that's the lowest single group by the way improved by 10% or more in points per game. 38% decreased by the same amount. Again that's that's closer than we'd like for a certainty but still the lowest improved group for positive meme regression with a 61% of similar points per game or better is as bad as it gets. So 61% improve or maintain within 10% of their points per game the following season if they have oh if they have bad touchdowns, if they don't score enough touchdowns in a season like Deontay Johnson last year. He's very likely to maintain his points per game or get a little bit better. So it's more likely he just skids across to being much like he was last year. That's especially true because when we dig down into the volume, so top 24 level volume at the wide receiver position, 73% improved or maintained. And that's second only to quarterback. In other words, lower volume wide receivers are less likely to offer positive or similar results the following season if they weren't scoring enough touchdowns. But if they have volume, they're very likely to at least maintain their points per game the following season. So Chris Godwin and Deontay Johnson are probably fine candidates to improve or maintain next year. But Ronda Moore, sad face, Terrace Marshall, Cortland Sutton, who all had over 400 yards per touchdown, did so on lower volume. So, are worse things to chase the touchdown regression for, especially compared to other positions. But the majority at least maintain. Again, 61% isn't nothing. Now, 88% of wide receivers finish with less than or less than 100 yards per touchdown. They were scoring too many touchdowns in a single season. The following year, if they played a full year that year, they average a 152% improvement in yards per touchdown. Or rather, regression to the mean. They scored less touchdowns per yard the following season. And they saw a 0% change in their points per game. 30% of the group improved in points per game by 10% or more, and 39% decreased by the same amount, balancing each other out. This is the biggest, stable, or better group of any negative expectations. Wide receivers with volume, who scored too many touchdowns, 80% of them maintain or increase their points game per game the following year. So it's like we looked at a running back on Austin Eckler for wide receivers. Especially if they're operating on significant volume, that touchdown rate, while it's likely to regress, their points per game is more likely to maintain or increase than it is to decrease the following season. In other words, wide receivers don't maintain their efficiency, but the results for Pharisee are more often maintained or improved for that position, especially if they have volume, than any other position. Lower volume wide receivers are less likely to produce positive or similar results following season, but 80% of wide receivers with volume improve or maintain their points per game. That's more than running back who had 75%, if you remember when you looked at the group that had volume. If they were scoring a lot of touchdowns on low volume, they don't often improve. I'm looking at you, Gabe Davis, but I'm also looking at Davis when I expect him to maintain his points per game and running backs and tight ends and quarterbacks in a similar situation. You could also look at Christian Watson this year, for example, heading into next year. But of course, the key question always is about volume improvement. He's entering his second season. So the question remains, is he Chase Claypool or not? Not is he due touchdown regression? Tight end position. 81 players finished with greater than 200 yards per touchdown. They saw a 34% improvement in their yards per touchdown in the following season. So they regressed towards the mean. And they saw an average increase in points per game of 15.7%. 48% of the group increased in points per game by 10% or more. And 33% decreased by 10% or more. 66% were either stable or better the following year if they didn't score enough touchdowns in a single season. So it's working as you would expect, 66% of the time. But they fall behind wide receiver if you look at them. If you look at wide receivers with volume. But they are still slightly ahead of running backs. And let's face it, very few tight ends matter. two finished with less than 100 yards per touchdown. They reduced in yards per touchdown by over 100% the following season on average. And improved in points per game, by minus 10.4%. In other words, they lost 10.4% of their points per game on average. And only 25% of them actually increased in points per game by 10% or more. 51% decreased by 10% or more. With or without significant volume, tight end is the least likely to improve or maintain points per game if they, are not, if they are too efficient in scoring touchdowns. Which is concerning for George Kittle this year, but I'll get to this year. I wanted to do a section here of examples that Threads and Twitter offered because I wanted some examples to put this in the context of things that you will remember. Uh, but it's already getting too long, as you can note. Two years in a row may be more concerning, as is three to be honest, and even at running back and wide receiver, because wide receivers careers average will eventually regress back, as we know. And this could be sour milk for my earlier Austin Eckler take. Multiple years of too high touchdown regression might be a very different thing from a single year, um, or just a higher player average. So some high level quick takeaways. QBs are going to regress in touchdown rate. Typically, The points per game result is highly likely to be what you would expect based on their touchdown efficiency. But very few hit the extremes of touchdown efficiency. Quarterbacks are also the most likely to see increases in points per game the following season if they have too low touchdowns. In fact, it's almost guaranteed. Next is wide receiver with volume, then tight end, and then running back. Wide receiver without volume comes in last. Um, and is the most likely to sustain points per game or the least likely to see points per game improvement or maintenance in the following season. Running backs due or, you know, their touchdown regression suggests they should positively improve in points, are good targets, 61% of the time they increase in points per game, but they are worse than other positions, ranking dead last in percentage of the group and only beat out the lower volume wide receivers. This is a warning about Alvin Kamara, Travis Etienne, and Ramon J. Stevenson this year. Yes, they improve more often than not, but they're not a surefire bet. It's slightly better than 50%. They might just maintain With or without significant volume, tight end is the least likely overly touchdown-efficient group to maintain or improve the following season, but tight end and quarterback with high touchdown rates are the most likely to have have worse points per game the following season. It's also only the third position ranked with volume in terms of improving the following season if they are due quote-unquote positive touchdown regression. But that is 70% of players with volume, to be honest, because by the time you get into volume players, it's pretty likely that they at least maintain if they have too many touchdowns, as we've mentioned with running back and wide receiver. Wide receivers are the least concerning if they have high touchdown rates. This is a Devontae Adams take. Although career outliers like Amari Cooper last year, or multiple years outside their own average like Adam Thielen of the last two, High or low touchdown rates are still improving, below 50% as a rule, but the single most common result is improvement or maintenance. And the most common result for over-efficiency is a decrease in points per game because of being too efficient. Outside of tight end and quarterback, it isn't happening most of the time. While position points per game improvements are more likely outside of quarterback, 25-40% to 40% are not going to pay off. On the other hand, 40% of players with high touchdown rates don't improve very often. 20% of the time. But they also don't decrease very often unless, again, they're quarterbacks or tight ends, who are always going to have more likely regression in either direction. Running backs and wide receivers, especially if they have volume, maintain points per game as a rule. Players are likely to regress towards the mean, but the cumulative effect for fantasy seems to be that high touchdown efficiency doesn't lead to less points the following season, except for quarterback in Thailand. Mostly, even though their touchdown rate regresses to the mean significantly, they score points in other ways. Quarterbacks seem remarkably susceptible to touchdown regression in either direction. This is likely because they are not only involved in both the passing and the rushing game themselves, but are more susceptible to positions other positions' success. Players catching well or poorly, for example, better rewards, running backs and tight ends, and wide receiver touchdown rates affect the quarterback dramatically, all at the same time. Leaving cause and effect aside for a moment, one of my main observations here is that quarterbacks are, with outlier touchdown rates, are more likely to change in points per game the following season in the direction you would expect. And my third takeaway, my, my third main takeaway is that players with volume, especially running back and wide receiver, who have too many touchdowns mostly maintain their points per game or in fact improve it in a minority group improve the following season so i'm going to be less concerned with players with too many touchdowns as long as they were getting significant volume it's really just about can they maintain volume and players with volume at both of those positions typically do outside of injuries all right exit time uh, thanks for listening to this podcast. I, again, appreciate you for taking the time to try a podcast doing something or trying to do something a little different. Thanks to everyone who bought my and Zach Reed's Rate My Link podcast series out. It was awesome. We saw that pretty much as soon as I mentioned it, and I had a great time doing it. So I really want to thank everyone who got involved in that. Um, and again, once again, I want to thank everyone who continues to reach out about this podcast to let me know that, they are, that they're enjoying it. Hearing from you really means the world. If you're interested in my ranks, articles, any of my data, specifically for this episode, I'm going to have the data and my written script out because I realize there's a lot of numbers in here and we might have gotten lost at one or two points. So check out the links in the description or on Patreon um, if you want to go back over it in some other form. Or hit me up on Twitter or threads. You can also find me on Patreon or follow my Linktree link in my bio to see all of my... For now, I'll see you next week here at the Crossroads. Have a good week and good luck this season. Thanks.
1: Yeah. Chicken, chicken or a crow, crow chicken a crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, play run fold, so Jake on the table and they on the playoffs. No. Pete the mo, it's a pleasure analytical. Picking my nose, don't really know if I like that. Picking their brains, got their in lanes, but I like that Picking these guys, all of these times, all of these nice stats Picking apart, the film is an art, always a fight Back and forth, there is no order They disorder more and more because the players ain't no older They some hoarders or some mortars Dropping bombs without no borders Stick got that eye, eye like mortar Peak grinding numbers like molars I don't know anymore, I am at a crossroads Chicken or crow, chicken or crow, crossing the road, go Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfold so Jake on the table and they on the play. though. He didn't it's the place they're analytical. Chicken a crow, chicken a crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfold. So Jake on the table and they on the place though. He didn't the place they're analytical.